0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James, we will be in chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. James, chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. And if you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's Word. James 2. 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is clo- if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, "Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed," but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works and offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, And by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? But just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. This is the word of God. Praise be to God. You may be seated. Growing up, it was very common for myself, my classmates, and friends my age to talk a big game, to talk up our capabilities in any area of life, whether it's the classroom, academics, or whether it's the court or the track or whatever it is in the athletics. It was just this constant conversation of talking up ourselves about how good we are or how good we think we were. And we always perceived ourselves as the best, the smartest, the fastest, the brightest, the strongest, or at least better than this person, if not the best. And so in those conversations, it'll be going on, and eventually, eventually, someone is going to say, ask the question, but can you back it up? Show me. But well, many would say, you can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? Prove it so that I would know that it's real, because talk is cheap. Show me, and then I'll believe you. As Christians it, we don't talk up ourselves. We don't boast about ourselves. We boast about Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. His saving work, who he is, and what he has done for us. At the same time, the question, does one know that their faith is sincere? How does one know That they have actual saving faith and can say it, but just because you say it doesn't mean you actually have it. But sincere faith, it is made evident by our faithful deeds. Jesus Christ. Sincere faith is an invisible trust in Jesus, and it is made visible by one's confession of Christ, accompanied with faithfully following him, submitting oneself to him, pattering one's life after him, all the while proclaiming the gospel of Christ. Genuine faith precedes and it produces good works. In fact, those good works testify to the validity and a sincerity of one's confession of faith in Jesus. This is what James teaches us in this passage this morning. So our big idea for this passage is this. Demonstrate saving faith in Christ by good works, your good works. Demonstrate saving faith you're saving faith in Jesus Christ you demonstrated by your good works for our passage this morning I have three points the first two is going to talk about what faith ain't and then we're going to talk about what faith is first faith isn't a mere confession Second, faith isn't mere knowledge. Third, faith is obedient trust. Though confession is very important, faith isn't mere knowledge, though knowledge is very important. Faith is obedient trust. So first, faith isn't a mere confession. Look at verses 14 to 17. James says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have knowledge? Can such faith, not, not knowledge, my bad, claims to have faith but does not have works, can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. James opened this section with a question concerning faith. Now, faith for James, it is used 11 times in this one section of Scripture. 11 times. This passage is one of the most famous passages in the book of James. It has stirred many conversations and controversy regarding the relationship between faith and works. Some reformers actually didn't even like this passage because they believed that at face value, James was disagreeing with Paul. Newsflash, he doesn't. This passage of Scripture by no no means undermined the doctrine of justification by faith alone. James affirms the necessity of faith in Jesus James chapter 2, verse 1, he says, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. James would agree with the reality that all who are saved are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 16, verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. James and Paul don't need to be reconciled because they're not enemies. they were writing to two different congregations, addressing two different issues. Paul was addressing legalism. Where those who taught and, seek to, and sought to influence churches to believe that one is justified by faith in Jesus plus their obedience to the law. But Paul was making abundantly clear, no, one is saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. James, he's dealing with those who believe some sort of nominal Christianity. So his qualm isn't with faith in general, but a specific kind of faith, a superficial faith an inadequate faith, a faith that is all talk but no walk. Which is why he says in verse 14, can such faith save him? Notice he didn't say can faith save him, but can such, can that type of faith, the faith that one claims to have but does not have works. James is distinguishing the difference between a what I'm going to call a superficial faith and what is actual saving faith. Superficial faith. It has the label of faith. It says the right things that sounds like faith. And yet, it is empty. You know, in my home, love to eat breakfast. Love cereal, even though I don't eat it very often. And my favorite kind of cereal is cinnamon toast crunch. Let's go. Come on, Hunter. It's the taste you can see. You know, introduced it to them. And y'all, they love cinnamon toast crunch as well. So much so that there was a season when they were eating up almost all of it, and I only had one bowl. And so my wife and I, we began to, we had a family meeting, her and I, we deliberated. We came up with a really good idea. We're going to keep buying Cinnamon Toast Crunch, but we're going to get my kids the Aldi brand. <laughs> Y'all who shop at Aldi know that the Aldi brand ain't the same thing. <laughs> you see, the Aldi brand, it looks like what I'm going to call CTC. That's what we call it in the house. It looks like CTC. It smells like CTC. It has the same texture as CTC but it don't have the same taste. And God must have gave my kids discernment because Jace picked up on it very soon. He's like, I want the other Cinnamon Toast Crunch. We decided that we're gonna keep getting the Aldi brand. We're gonna put the Aldi brand Cinnamon Toast Crunch in the actual box that says Cinnamon Toast Crunch. (laughs) Before you judge me on my parenting, we did repent of these lying, okay? This falsehood, we definitely repented of. But we said we're going to do this, and so we did. The box had the right label. It looked like the right thing. The texture looked like the right thing. And once again, my kids began to pick up on it because they noticed that that ain't the actual cinnamon toast crunch. That ain't the real thing. Beloved, what James is saying is that superficial faith has the right label. It says the right words, but it isn't the real thing. And why? Because superficial faith gives a confession of Jesus Christ, but there is no willing, loving, humbly, joyfully submission to his glorious reign. None whatsoever. The reformers say that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and the faith that saves isn't alone. It is accompanied with and results in good works. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, we recall in the presence of God your worth. James here is saying that superficial faith Does no good, and that he goes on to illustrate it. Verse 15 and 16, he says, If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? This is a brother or sister one who has professed faith in Jesus Christ. They are of the household of faith, and they are in a dire situation. They are described by what they don't have. Lacking clothes. No daily food. Yet, a member of the church sees them in the real need that they are in. He or she notices the distress that this brother or sister is in. They knew what this brother and sister needed. And yet, notice their response. Go in peace, stay warm, be well fed. And they did not give that brother or sister what the body needed. Here we see the response of godly words, and yet... It wasn't accompanied with godly works. The very words communicated compassion, but the very works not done showed coldness. One's deeds contradicted the very words that they said because they didn't seek to help this brother or sister. First John chapter three, verse 16 and 18 says this, This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech but in action and in truth. It's the very opposite of what this brother or sister did in this hypothetical situation. Christ Jesus himself expects for his followers to display compassion towards the household of faith who are in need. As we saw in the parable in Matthew 25 that our brother did in the script, who tended to fellow brothers and sisters in their distress. Jesus himself said that I was hungry, and you fed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. They're wondering, when when were you brothers and sisters of mine? You did to me. Brother, confession of faith in Jesus Christ is to result in faithful conduct. Patterning our lives after him, reflecting the compassion that we see in Christ, seeking to serve and imitate the service that we have experienced by Christ. And where that is persistently lacking, James is saying that there is superficial faith. He brings it home in verse 17. Where he says, in the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. Beloved, mere words without good works demonstrate no love and no faith. One can identify with Christ, but if it is not accompanied with the imitation of Christ, it isn't good. You can confess Jesus and that confession is to be accompanied with cross carrying. And when that's not the case, that's hollowed faith. It's one's confession of faith empty chatter to where you know a bunch of scriptures, which is good. You can quote them, but there is this refusal to pattern one's life in accordance with the teaching of scripture. Real faith is more than words. We say it, and we seek to follow through by our actions. We're to be a people who Put feet to our faith and apply the Scriptures to our life, not to earn anything, but because we love Christ, because he has saved us. So a confession, it is very important, extremely important. The reality is we wouldn't even know one is a Christian without a confession, And there's more to faith than merely a confession. James goes on, making known that faith, faith is not a mere confession, but it's also not mere knowledge. Brings us to our second point. Look at verse 18 and 19. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith works. You believe that God is one good, even the demons believe, and they shudder. James anticipated an objection from a hypothetical person. So this isn't a real person. He's having dialogue with a hypothetical objection that one may give. He's making clear that faith and works, these two, they go together, whereas the one who's objecting, they have severed the two, communicating that faith and works are two distinct gifts, that you can have sincere faith without good works. To which James is very brilliant in his response. He said, oh, you think that's the case? Well, show me your faith without works. And I will show you faith by my works. And the response is brilliant because it is impossible to show your faith without works. The only way your faith is demonstrated is by good works. You believe in Jesus, it is made evident through baptism and joining a gospel after Christ. Jesus himself says that if you love me, don't just say it, but if you love me, you will obey my commands. John chapter 14 verse 15 we show by our obedience because we love him. Let me address the children in the room. You know, kiddos, if you were to hang out with your friends and you told them that you just recently hung out with a player from the Memphis Grizzlies and just how sweet it was, how wonderful it is, I'm sure your friends will be like, man, that's amazing, but you got to show me. I want to see some sort of proof. You have an autograph. You have a jersey that's been autographed. You have a picture. you got to show some sort of proof of what you said that you did. When it comes to loving Jesus, James and the Bible tells us that we don't just say it, we also got to show it. Our prayer, your parents' prayer, is for that you to love Jesus Christ. And along with that, if you were to come to us and tell us one day, we would celebrate it. We would also say, don't just say it, you got to show it. The truth and grace catechism says, how can you glorify God? And it's shown in actions, he says, by loving him and doing what he commands. Show it. Y'all can rehearse that later. It's an easy chant. James 2. It's an easy way to teach your kids the verse. Say it and show it. James goes on. Verse 19, he says, You believe that God is one good, even the demons believe, and they shudder. James makes clear that faith is not merely this intellectual acknowledgement of the truth, though that is a very, very, very important component to faith. Here, addressing his objector he says you believe that god is one acknowledging the Shemai. take it from deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 a confession of the unity in god the jews would have learned this verse they would be able to quote it knowing that it is true that god is one and as christians we confess the very same thing 1 corinthians chapter 8 verse 4 there's one god whom all things are made God is one in essence and three in... It is important for us to understand the facts, to understand the truth that's revealed in Scripture about God, sin, Christ, salvation. We must know these things. It's important for us to not just know it, but to be able to articulate sound doctrine. It is of utmost importance... And as important as it is, faith is not an intellectual assent. It is more than stating the facts. You know, in high school, my mom let me go to driver's school so I can get my driver's license. So at this academy, all pro driving academy, had class, learned a whole lot, took notes on so many things, just learning how to drive. And in class, in order to get your license, you have to take two tests. You have to do the written portion and you have to do the driving portion. Portion I passed, but just because I passed the written portion didn't mean that I was a driver. I had to actually. Act upon the very things that I learned. Apply it to my very life. I had to get in the car and show that I know how to drive. So I can pass the driver's test and actually get my license. Beloved, what James is saying here is that it is really, really good to know the truth. It is great to know the facts because faith isn't less than that. He's also communicating that faith is more than that. It is more than acknowledging the truth about God. It is good to know all of the ologies out there. Theology, Christology, Bibliology, Ecclesiology, Eschatology, and there are so many more. It is good to know these things. But if that knowledge is not accompanied with a love for a reverence of a trust in and a submission to the triune god whose word and you are studying it doesn't benefit you case in point the demons James says that you believe that God is one, good, even the demons believe, and they shudder. If you study the life of Christ to the Gospels, you will see that the demons were the very first ones to recognize Jesus for who he truly is. And the interactions that the demons had with Jesus, they called him the Holy One. They called him the Son of God. They knew the truth, and yet they were his enemies. There was no love for Jesus, and there was certainly no peace with God between God and the demons, though they knew the truth about him. James very well may be being sarcastic because the knowledge that the demons had, look how they responded. They shuddered. James is like, man, they, at least they responded. <laughs> and their response was trembling. That is to come for them. Beloved, our prayer for this church is that we would love and value theology. Your elders pray that for you. The resources that we give... <laughs> We want you to love and value theology. We want you to know the Bible. It is essential to have good theology. Our prayer is that you would love to study the very Word of God. He has revealed Himself. We need this Word. And it's important to know that saving faith does not solely view God as a subject to study. Saving faith does not view God as a subject, solely as a subject to study, because He is much more than that. Beloved, God is the subject of our study, that He may be the object of our worship. Let me say that again. God is the subject of our study, That he may be the object of our worship. We want to study what he has revealed. We want to grow in our knowledge of him that it may inflame our love for him. That we may worship. Beloved, the study and knowledge of God is intended to inform how we live before him. Because we love him. He has caused us to be born again. We want to live in light of how he says that we should live because we love him. And so we give up ourselves for him. Even as we sung at the very end of At the Cross, I give up myself in thankfulness for it is all that I can do. So, beloved, may we study May we grow in knowledge of our understanding of the Scriptures. May we discuss it with one another, encouraging one another, having real gospel-centered fellowship. But, oh, beloved, may it not stop there. For it to stop there would be for it to fall short of God's intentions. We are to apply this very word to our life. The psalmist says, how can a young man keep his way pure? And it's not by merely reading the Word. It is not by mere knowing the Word. But he says, by guarding one's life according to the Word. Responding to it in faith. And so we unpacked what faith isn't. Well, let's now get into what faith is. Third point, been alluding to it a number of times in the, in the sermon. Let's talk about it. Faith is obedient trust. Faith is obedient trust. Look at verse 20. James is continuing this conversation with this hypothetical objector. He says senseless person, so he's not really calling an actual person senseless, okay? So it's not one of the listeners of this congregation. He's actually calling them out like that. Again, hypothetical situation, hypothetical person. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? James is like, man, you want me to show you? I'm about to. Well, it's saving faith. It's not merely saying the right things, though it's very important. It's not merely acknowledging the truth, though those are very important components to saving faith. What I would say saving faith is what many systematic theologians would say, that it is obedient trust. It acknowledges that God has revealed himself. The very truths that are in the Word, it believes these things to be true because they come from God. And it goes beyond that is also to submit oneself to these truths, to submit oneself to the authority of God. He is the sovereign ruler. He is the king. And so to confess that demands that there be submission. And that submission ain't just communicated in words. It's displayed in deeds. And not just a one-time thing, but an ongoing lifestyle, beloved. To where there's real, humble contrition when we don't obey. Important for us to know, saving faith is not this perfect, ongoing obedience to God, but there is a real broken and contrite heart when we don't obey Him and a turning away from our sin and turning towards him, asking him to cleanse and forgive us and committing ourselves to patterning our life according to his word because we love him. So James, he's about to show them. He said, you want to sh- know? Let me show you. Exhibit A, Abraham. Look at verses 21 On down, he says, Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. So he appealed to the scriptures, the patriarch, Father Abraham, who had many sons. And many sons had father Abraham. If your faith is in Jesus, I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Abraham was called by God, and Abraham followed. What James mentions is a famous account. It's found in Genesis chapter 22, where God tested Abraham's faith. God spoke to Abraham and told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, the very son of the promise. And what we see here is you have revelation. God spoke directly to Abraham. And you also have response. What was Abraham's response? It was obedient trust. His son and his men, they made their way to Mount Moriah. Abraham told his boys, the son and I, we're about to go worship and we're going to come back. Isaac, I see the fire, I see. Abraham lays his son, Isaac, about to get ready and sacrifice him. And God spoke to Abraham. Told him to not do it. And then Abraham saw a ram and sacrificed the ram instead. His only son. And yet, out of a love for God, Abraham did not withhold his boy from God. What we see here is obedient trust. In fact, Hebrews chapter eleven, in the hall of faith actually mentions that very same episode that James is getting at here. And listen to what Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 17 and 19. He says, "By faith when by faith Abraham when he was tested offered up Isaac, offering his one and only son, the one to whom it was it had been said your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. Abraham trusted God. And when God called Abraham to this, Abraham showed his trust. Verse 23 says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. This references Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, when God revealed himself to Abraham, made promises to Abraham that he would have a biological son and that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, Scripture says Abraham responded with faith. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. At that moment, Abraham was declared righteous by faith alone. By faith alone. If you're familiar with Genesis, and you know chronological numbers, you know that Genesis 15 preceded Genesis chapter 22. So what is James saying here? James saying that the faith that Abraham had at Genesis 15 was real. It wasn't superficial. James like, how do you know? Well, I know because willing to offer up the very own son whom God told Abraham that the lineage will go through him. Abraham did not withhold his very own son. Abraham loved his son, but he loved God more and was willing to give it all for God because he loved God. He's called God's friend. He was faithful to God. This phrase here, he was called God's friend, likely refers to Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8. It talks about how Abraham was a beloved a friend of God. He he believed and he was faithful. Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, some may hear this and be like, whoa, 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 that sounds like works-based righteousness. It sounds as if James is saying that you are justified by works. Beloved, there's two ditches that we need to avoid. One is the ditch of thinking that one is saved by faith, faith devoid of works is saving. And James is beating that down, making known that that ain't true. The other ditch is that one can believe or assume that works without faith will justify oneself. And that is not true. Abraham ain't saying that. The Bible certainly does not teach that. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that one is saved by faith alone. And the reason is because, beloved, we fall short of God's glorious standard. The Bible says that our righteous deeds, apart from faith, are like filthy rags. We are sinners before a holy and righteous God. We can't save ourselves. We need to be saved. And that's what God did when in His love He sent His Son there's only one who's perfectly obeyed, and it's Jesus Christ. And not only that, he suffered as a sacrifice for the sins of all who would trust in him. Raising from the grave, and when we trust in him, we are justified by faith declared righteous. And so, friends, if you are not a Christian and you are here, I am so glad that you're here. I want you to know. A dear brother, John Kaiser, had texted me about this. He made known that right living does not lead to right standing. It doesn't. We have sinned against God. You have sinned against God. You are in his debt, and you have no hope. He gave his son, and the only hope is in Jesus. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So I would implore you to trust in Jesus Christ. Do not rely upon yourself, but put all your hope and trust in Jesus For he is the only Savior. Verse 24. Though it sounds as if Abraham is saying one is justified by works, this is why context matters. When James says one is justified by works, he is not saying that one is justified by works apart from faith. He is not saying that. He's saying that those works accompanied faith in Jesus. They go together. Faith precedes works. Dr. Tom Schreiner says it this way in his book, Justification. He says, good works are the consequence, result of, and fruit. Beloved, faith in Jesus is the root, and good works are the fruit. Abraham exhibited This He uses Abraham as an example. But Abraham isn't the only example. He also uses Rahab in verses 25 on down. Also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route. This alludes to Joshua chapter 2 verses 1 to 11. After God had delivered the Israelites... The word of this great deliverance spread like wildfire. Rahab and her people, they heard it. But unlike her people, Rahab responded to this news with faith in the God of Israel. Well, how does one know? You see it in the kindness that she showed towards two messengers who were a part of God's covenant people. She welcomed them. She risked her life. She hid them, and she redirected those who were looking for the spies. And once again, Rahab's example. Rahab heard the news of God's saving acts, his deliverance he brought about for Israel, and Rahab responded with faith, and the sincerity of that faith, again, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31 says this. By faith, Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. Here James gives two examples. A patriarch and a prostitute. A giant in the faith and a peasant. A Jewish man and a Gentile woman. Making known that faith is is obedient trust. And not just that, but that God can save anybody. Anybody can respond to faith in Jesus, great or small, man or woman, great past or bad past. Salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Another thing I love about these examples is that they show that you don't have to do big things for God to display faith. Abraham offered up his son. That definitely showed faith. But look at the example that Rahab did. She showed hospitality. It could be easy to belittle that act. Yet that act made into the hall of faith. And that same act is also what James is alluding to here. But we don't have to go out and try to do big things for God. Instead, we just have to live a lifestyle of responding rightly to the Word of God. Beloved, are our lives marked by responding to God's Word with an obedient trust? James talked about this in chapter 1, not just being hearers of the Word, Faith is exhibited and displayed by hearing and responding, being doers of it. It's where we want to hear, we delight to hear from God. As we sung and speak, O Lord, we want to hear him speak. And that he may shape and fashion us in his likeness. We're asking him to teach us full obedience. Where we are giving up ourselves to God and striving to walk in obedience to his word because we love him. Love, it does that mark your life? Christ is the Savior. By faith, we are justified. A sincere faith, it embraces Jesus Christ. It rests in his saving work. We are united to Christ by faith. We have communion with Jesus Christ. And from that, we are to seek to pursue conformity to his likeness. He purchased us, and so we live for him alone. It says, breath is a sign of life. And fire provides heat. It says, sincere faith produces works. We don't just talk, we walk the walk. And we follow a Savior who didn't just talk the talk, but who also walked the walk. When Jesus came, he spoke. Every word he said was true. Every claim he made was confirmed. Every promise he made is a promise kept. And he saves all who trust in him. And beloved, we who have trusted in him, our invisible trust is made evident by faithful deeds and good works to the glory of God. Beloved, may we not be a people who talk the talk, but by the grace of Christ, may we say we love Jesus and may we show it. Let's pray.